I'm Margaret Mueller, President and CEO of the Executives Club of Chicago, Chicago region's top business forum. Join me on the Executives Exchange as we go deep with some of the most successful executives from the Chicago region and unlock the keys to their success. Trust me, you're going to want to hear this. Today, we have a Chicago favorite on the Executives Exchange. Portillo CEO Michael Osanlu joins us along with guest host Andy Lansing, CEO of Levy, another iconic Chicago restaurant brand. Osanlu and Lansing talk about their leadership journeys, taking quintessential eateries to the next level, and of course, their go-to Portillo's orders. This episode was recorded in front of a live audience. Well, hey everyone. This is this is a lot of fun. Uh, Michael and I just want to make it clear we both know that the reason most of you are here is because of the lunch, not because you have any interest <laughs> in what we have to say. And I get that. Uh, uh, Michael, this is really a treat for me um, because I've been a fan of yours and Portillo's for a long time. And it's interesting because you and I actually have a lot in common, mm-hmm. surprisingly. Um, we're both Michigan Wolverines. Go Blue. So it's, sorry, I, I know that's polarizing, but it was a good week for us. Let us enjoy it while mm-hmm. we can. Um, it's been a long time coming. It's been a long time. It's been yeah. a long time. We both went to law school and practiced law. Yeah. Who knew? The last thing that either of us ever thought was that we were going to be in the restaurant business. Yeah. Right? Totally. It's that great line from the John Lennon song, life is what happens when you're busy making plans. Here you go. Um, we're both part of uh, Chicago brands who have gone national and global and mm-hmm. have had the challenges that come with that. Uh, the, and we've reaped the benefits of that. But I think maybe most importantly, what we have in common is we both freaking adore hot dogs. (laughs) I mean, we love hot dogs. 100%, Andy. And the only way I can prove that to you, and we've got some of the Levy folks here, they know I'm on average, I eat, no kidding, three hot dogs a week because I will eat a hot dog the first thing I do when I go to any of our stadiums Mm -hmm. or arenas. That's sort of my litmus test. If I taste the hot dog and the bun's done right and the condiments are done right, I know that things generally going to be okay. Um, I actually have a podcast at Levy for our 50,000 internal team members called Hot Dogs with Andy. Mm. So I really, I know my hot dogs, so you met your match. I, yeah. um, I'm a little intimidated. Yeah, I, I don't blame you. <laughs> I, uh, I'm a hot dog guy. But no, in fairness, we yeah. actually, it's interesting. As somebody asked earlier, I think Margaret, it would be fascinating to compare how many hot dogs in a year yeah. we each sell. And I have no idea. Um, I know that what, at Wrigley, we probably sell a million two a year. I think at Dodger Stadium, yeah. we sell a million and a half a year. Uh, we sell a lot of hot dogs, but you guys sell a ton of hot dogs. Do you have any sense? I, I, I do. I want to uh, shout out to my friends over at Vienna Beef sitting right over there because they, they're the ones who make our hot dogs. And, and as you guys all know, a Portillo's hot dog is an iconic, special thing. So here's the fun fact. This is, I, I like to think of it this way. Every week we sell the equivalent of 110 Willis Towers of hot dogs. <laughs> so if you stacked our hot dogs end to end, 110 Willis Towers. That's a lot of hot dogs. Drop the mic. It's a lot of hot dogs. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. We, um, listen, let's, let's get into yeah. it. Uh, I guess let's start a little bit at the beginning. When you were young, yeah. um, you, as I said, you certainly didn't see yourself doing this. What did you think you wanted to do when you, when you grew up? Um, uh, uh, you know, honestly, 
I'm waiting to be able to answer that question at some point because I feel like I'm still growing up. You, you know, as a kid, I don't think I had any any imagination for what I wanted to do. You know, I went to college, when I was at Michigan, I actually uh, majored in cellular molecular biology for three years because I thought I wanted to be a doctor. And then I got to hospitals and I realized, oh my God, they're all sick people and they're dying. I want no part of this. This is like emotionally distressing. Uh, I test well, I took the LSATs, I went to law school. I loved law school, but I did not like who I was becoming practicing law. You know, I was an employment litigator and I found that for me, um, litigation brought out the dark side of my personality mm. and I did not like that. And I, and, I, and I told people, I was like, I wanna go, I wanna be part of building something. I think there's this strange uh, dynamic in my personality that I like taking care of people and I like helping other people be successful. And, and I said, I'm, I'm just gonna go to business school, I wanna go run something. Everybody told me, you're an idiot. <laughs> like, you're, you're, you're a good litigator, you won't be good at business. But I think that's what it was. It was just a fundamental understanding that what's gonna make me personally happy is part of building something, leading something, and, uh, and helping other people be successful. So after business school, yeah. talk to us a bit about your journey through uh, P.F. Chang's and yeah. the restaurant industry, and, and yeah. finally, how you ended up at Portillo's. Uh, my first job out of business school was at Bain & Company. I don't know if there are any of my colleagues are here from Bain, but I loved Bain. It was, it's, uh, for those of you who don't know, it's a strategy consulting firm, and I was actually right down the road here. Um, I, you know, I learned a ton. I learned a ton about business, but I also learned a ton about what I love in running an organization. It's a meritocracy. It's a place that you are um, very much in service to the people in the front lines. It's, it's, it's a place where um, you try to drive to results. And it's a place that it's deeply embedded in the culture to have fun at work. Yeah. Like it's, there's nothing, it's not bad to have, it's a good thing to have fun. And so I loved Bay and I loved the culture, but I always felt like I'm on the sidelines, I'm giving advice to people who are playing in the game, and my personality is, you know, give me the ball, coach. I, I wanna be in the game. And I left, I went to uh, uh, Harris Entertainment, it was a client of mine. Um, it's a big casino company. I went and ultimately I ran Atlantic City and I learned so much because I was a horrible leader, right? Like when you look back in, in your career, I, I do this, I look back and I think, man, I really sucked at that. Oh, I was terrible at this. And, and I see it now crystal clear and I see how much my, uh, my bosses, my mentors invested in me and taught me. And so I learned a lot about leadership uh, because I wasn't good at it. And I, and I got a lot out of that. And then I went to uh, Kraft Foods, had a great experience at Kraft. Uh, you know, my time at Kraft, I, I ran the grocery business, but it naturally uh, evolved into, I really just wanted to run something. And I loved the food business. Um, so I went to the front edge of the food business, which is restaurants. And, my, my, and the first thing I did is I went and uh, I ran P.F. Chang's in Scottsdale, Arizona. And I, I still have soy in my blood from P.F. Chang's. Mm -hmm. Wonderful experience, wonderful experience. Um, and then, you know, then the opportunity to run Portillo's uh, came up. And it's funny because most people who don't really know Portillo's were like, you're crazy. You got, like, P.F. Chang is an international business. You have a, it's beautiful restaurants, billion dollars of sales, your CPG business. Why would you go to, like, this little Midwestern thing? So there you go. There's my next question. What was it about, about that opportunity that you said, oh, that's for me? You guys, you go to Portillo's. Raise your hand if you, or your family loves Portillo's, right? That, this is it. it. It's a sleeping giant of a brand, 
right? And so, and I looked at it and it was like the private equity firm, you know, they had some fits and starts. And the, the real question with Portillo's is, can Portillo's be a national concept, right? It's, we all know that it works in Chicago, there's no doubt. Um, we all, we, I think, in our guts, all know and understand that the food will translate, right? It's not, I'm, I'm not gonna have a hard time selling beef sandwiches and hot dogs to people in Texas. This is gonna be fine, right? And so um, that was the question. Can this go outside of Chicagoland? If it can, this is the next Chick-fil-A. It's the next major restaurant company. And to me, how exciting is it to go take, at the time, like 45 restaurants and build it into a public company and then take it into a national powerhouse and a, and a beloved investment of the investor base? So when you looked at it, Michael, um, Remind everyone the state of the company at the time. Privately owned, yeah. founder involved, you said 45-ish locations yeah. at the time. Yeah. What was the state of Portillo's when you joined? Right, this is also, by the way, a great piece of career advice. Portillo's was doing very poorly. Never go somewhere that's really just killing it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Pick your time and your place. And so uh, the company was struggling, had eight quarters of negative comp, turnover was getting to be ridiculously high. New restaurants built were struggling. And so, so it, it was, you know, it was the, I was the third CEO since Berkshire had bought it in 2014. I joined in 2018. That's a really good time. If you fundamentally, you have to divorce yourself from the existing performance and say, what do I think of this business? Like, look at it objectively in a fact-based way. And I could say, unrivaled AUVs, right? Average unit volumes. Like, ridiculous, ridiculous ridiculous volumes, <laughs> amazing margins, beloved iconic brand, and that I believe that this menu will translate. And the fact that it's not performing well to me is like, oh my gosh, that's great. It's even more opportunity. And so I was super excited. And, and tell everyone a bit about the dynamics of a founder yeah. over time, letting go, how easy or hard that is. I certainly have uh, had my experience with Larry Levy, yeah. such a high-profile, amazing restaurateur, entrepreneur, and sort of it going from a family-owned yeah. into um, you know such a big business. But you yeah. obviously saw. A yeah. Lot of you, well, I, I'd be curious your perspective. Um, uh, you know, look first, Dick Portillo's story is it's like a perfect example why America is the greatest country, right? He came out of, uh, out of the military with $1,100 in his pocket, literally opened what we call the doghouse. We have like images of it. It's a shack with no running water. And he's made himself, you know, close to a billion dollars. It's incredible. And it's, the, um, it's a testimony to hard work and passion and resilience. And, uh, and he, you know, Dick's a tough guy. Um, and I think letting go of the business is never easy, right? It's never easy. Like Dick, Dick, when he, Dick sold the business, he sold the business. He didn't keep any investment in the business. He, he helped for the first few years with uh, my predecessors on doing, you know, a lot of stuff. Um, and I, and, I, and I, it, I interviewed with Dick. I wanted to get to know him. I wanted to see, like, what he thinks is the secret sauce yes, to Portillo's. Yeah. You want to understand this. Um, and I admire uh, everything that he's done. But it's also... It's a different stage. I could never have done what Dick did. That's just not in my DNA to go from zero to here. My DNA is much more about take this and make it enormous. And so I, I res deeply respect the brand essence, 
and what he's done, but at some point then you say, and here's how we get to the next stage. And a lot of founders fight that. It's hard. They? It's hard to let go. It's, you know, I'm very respectful because his name is on the doors, yeah. right? But I'm also, um, uh, I'm also very mindful that I have a responsibility to the 8,000 people that work at Portillo's now, the uh, hundreds and thousands of investors that we have, and to, to the future. So I think it's important to always honor the past and know where you're from and understand that, but you can't live beholden to it. And I think that I got lucky with Larry because Larry was, uh, to your point you mentioned earlier, Larry knew that he got us from here to here. Yeah. And I'm not sure anybody else could have done that. Certainly I couldn't have. Right. But he also was really honest about the fact that he could not take it from here beyond. Yeah. And I think half the battle with founders is just admitting where you're good, where right. maybe you need help, and letting right. go, which I would think emotionally is not easy. No, I don't think so. Because, you know, as a founder, too, right, you had everybody Your name's you, on the door, saying, leaving yeah. Portillo, like, it, that's the way. And can you imagine how many times these guys were told, oh, you're never going to succeed, this is never going to happen. So you have to have this incredible conviction that you can do almost anything. Absolutely. Yeah. So you, you look at Portillo's, and... How long did it take you to say, all right, these are the top three things I need to do right away? Yeah. I know you were drinking from the proverbial fire hose, but was it yeah. evident to you what needed to happen right away? I'm a, um, so I'm a huge believer in primary knowledge. So learning for myself, right? I listen to what everybody on my team says, but then, you know, uh, I've learned over time that you probably know this, uh, people like to treat the boss the more senior you get, the more people want to treat you like you're a mushroom, right? And you know how you grow mushrooms? You farm mushrooms in dark places and you give it a lot of fertilizer. <laughs> so they want to keep you in the dark and feed you BS that they think makes you happy. And so I don't want to be a mushroom. <laughs> so I love spending time in the restaurants and seeing things firsthand. So my first um, 30 days at Portillo's, you know, I went to my office, met the staff, talked to them, two days. And then the remaining 28 days, I was in restaurants. I worked, you know, I, I went in and opened to see what we do, worked lunch shifts, worked closes, went to different restaurants, big, small, medium-sized restaurants, dual units that have a bar. I just want to learn everything. And, um, and it became really clear to me that uh, we had lost our way. You know, I had a, this seminal moment where I walked into one of our really big restaurants, uh, and I'm, I'm in there, it's like 7.45 in the morning. And this is a restaurant that does 12 million of sales. It's generating like $3 million of cash flow, right? That's a business. That's a legitimate business by itself. And, and I go into the uh, GM's office and he's sitting there like this, his hand on his head, staring down at these PowerPoint slides. And I was like, what's going on, bub? What are you doing? He's like, well, I, I, gotta, I gotta fill out this like monthly business evaluation and do like a SWOT analysis, strength. Restaurant GM is not equipped for this, right? Um, this is stuff that had been put, it's all well-intentioned. Well, to understand his business, understand his p &L. All well-intentioned stuff that is distracting him from coaching and managing his team and taking care of the guests. Because in our business, all I want a GM to do is Take care of your team, coach them, manage them, staff them right, recruit. It's a people business. And then when you have extra time, go spend time with the guests. The idea that this guy is like putting together a mini strategy 
which is a nightmare for him. It's like he's spending weeks on this, and he knows he's going to look bad doing it. It's just not his skill set. So I honestly, it was addition by subtraction. I went through and I, and I compiled all of the tasks that my GMs were doing in a given week, and I, and I identified everything that I felt was administrative, and I cut 30 hours a week of administrative work. Like they were working 20 hours a week to run the business, 30 hours on nonsense. And I said, one, I don't want you to work like 40, 45 hours. It's not that I'm lazy, but I want you fresh. And then I don't want you spending, wasting any of your time on this administrative stuff. I want you to spend all your time on your frontline team members. I don't call them employees, they're team members. You know, I don't call our, our, our restaurants or restaurants, they're not stores, they're restaurants. And I want you spending all your time on the people here because this is how I know you know, if Portillo's is doing well, it's not because of me. It's not because of the GM. It's because the person at front order, you know, if you ordered a beef sandwich, they say, would you like it with peppers? Peppers are really good on it. If you don't know, our chocolate cake, chocolate cake, homemade every single day in our restaurants, best darn chocolate cake you're gonna have. I want that experience, right? I want happy team members who are taking care of our guests, because then when the guest is happy, the investor is happy. Well, I think, isn't that the old adage? I, I, my guys, Levy folks who are here know that, you know, they'll hear this from me all the time. There's so many leadership books. There's so yeah. many advice. It boils down to this. Our team members are going to treat the guests yeah. the exact same way we treat them. Right. That's all it boils down to. You could yeah. save yourself thousands and thousands of books of reading. Yeah. That's the essence of hospitality. Well, and companies like ours yeah. and others sometimes get clumsy, right? Yeah. Sometimes we, there's this divide between the home office and the field, right. right? The field thinks those people in the ivory tower, if they only knew what it was like in the rice paddies of this war right now, they wouldn't ask us to do that. Totally. Right? And, and the home office is saying, I don't understand why won't they just do what I ask them to do. And it came to life for me. We have a thing at Levy called Founders Day where once a year all of us go into the units and work. And I don't yeah. mean just like, hey, there's Andy, let him make a hot dog. I mean, I'm a dishwasher, yeah. I'm a host. And I, one of my early ones, I was a host at one of our busiest restaurants. And the phone rang. And I mean, it is, it is insane in this restaurant. I pick up the phone. Hello, you know, so and so, this is Andy. Yeah. Lant, how may I help you? Uh, hey, it's, uh, it's Bill from the home office. Um, can you check and give us a count on how many, whatever? And I'm like, you didn't just call here during my lunch rush, did you? <laughs> uh, you did not just ask me that question. Yes. And it was like, yeah. go back to the office. Okay, we're not going to do that anymore. Right. So it is interesting how we unintentionally get to a place where right. we get in the way of, totally. as opposed to empowering people just to give them the tools and get the hell out of their way. I couldn't agree more. In fact, it's funny because... Um, you know, I spent my time in the field, I went back to, and, and I changed what we called our, we, we called it the corporate office. I said, no, we're changing the name. We're going to call ourselves, we are the restaurant support center. And you know, it's one of those things, it's a psychological thing, but you, here's what's funny. You get some cons negative feedback from people that, well, you know, I don't, I don't really like that. I feel like we're the headquarters. I'm like, okay, well, you're not going to like working with me. Because I feel like we're the restaurant support center. You only have a job because of those people in the field. <laughs> there is no POS. There's no point of sale system in Oak Brook. We don't make any money here, okay? We are a cost center. We, we live in service to the people on the front line who are actually paying all of the bills. How many guests walk through your 
Resource Center, zero. zero. They're all in the restaurants, which is where all the action and emphasis should be. Occasionally a couple, but that's a different experience. Different story. <laughs> different story. <laughs> so what kind of, uh, you know, without getting obviously into specifics, what kind of team did you inherit? Yeah. And what was your vision of, hey, I need to bring in people who think like I do. Yeah. I want to test drive these folks for a while. What was the management yeah. team buildup like? Um, it's a great, great question. Uh, I, I'm a huge believer in teams. I, and, I, and I mean, I mean, like everybody says this, right? No one says, no, I hate teams. I like to do it myself. I, I, I genuinely think that any two people on my team is smarter than any one person. I believe that you can take a bunch of, there's a gestalt that, there's something that happens when you put five great people together who have a similar value system, who like working together, that's infinitely better than the five individuals. Right? You guys all get that. And so for me, the foundation is I want great values first and foremost. I, I hire based on people's value system. Um, I don't want, like, you can have the most talented individual in the world who is divisive. I've, I've made this mistake. Hire, like, supreme talent but not a good team player. It destroys a team. So I want, I look for values first. And I believe in people who have a... Uh, family-based approach to things. Um, I, I, I want people who aspire to being great, not good, like people who, who just have that itch, like I just want to keep getting better. Um, I want people who like to have fun at work, like are loose and relaxed and a little cheeky and irreverent. Um, and so I went about assembling that team. And so, you, you know, I, I wanted a world-class, I start with people. So the first uh, job I upgraded was my HR partner because, you know, I need a partner. I need someone who's got the same vision, who wants to build this team. But so we, we've gone through and we've replaced people. Like, you know, when I replaced our COO, you know, in this industry, like in the restaurant industry, it's an, it, it's an interesting dynamic. There's, there's some guys like Andy and I, and then there's a lot of guys who just, and gals, who spent like 30 years growing up in the business. And sometimes when you do that and you don't have other perspectives, you become a hammer, and no matter what the problem is, you see it as a nail. And so I spent a year running operations myself while I looked for the perfect operations person. And you can see that. And in, in, in you referenced organizations. They're so, I remember when I took over at Levy a long time ago, it was that dilemma of, well, our head of purchasing was somebody who had worked with us for 10 years yeah. as a server in a restaurant and just decided the next step was purchasing. And one day I was right. like, I don't know, Larry, I don't know. It's none of my business. I just don't right. understand. Like, should we be buying 12 different olive oils or a carpet? Like, if we combine them, wouldn't we get better pricing? And, yeah, go fix it. And our yeah. head of HR, similarly, people who grow up with the brand, it's hard. Right. But you probably had some yeah. that survive because it's like building a baseball team. You got to get it from the farm system. You got to bring in free agents. Right. How did you see that combination? Well, and I, and I would add to that, like, I believe that institutional knowledge is actually very important to the soul of an organization. Right? And so there's this balancing act, like I want to keep the soul of who Portillo's is. I just want to contemporize it and scale it and take it everywhere. And so I've, I was very conscious of you can't replace everyone. You have to find people that are historians. But you know, the, the thing is, I wanted people who had understood the history of the company, had one foot in the past, but are willing to put one foot in the future. Like, you, you got to be careful, right? Because there's always, you're always going to run into people who say, oh, you know, we, we tried that back in uh, 94, it doesn't work. It's like, 
okay, well, it's 2020. <laughs> the world has changed, and we can do it differently. Does that mean it was a bad idea, or we badly executed? So I'm a huge believer. I've, I've, we've been able to bring along a, a number of people who understand the history of Portillo's, understand the soul of Portillo's, but also understand what the future will be like and are, and are very helpful along that way. It's more art than science, right? Yeah. It sounds really easy to do, but to get that blend and that institutional knowledge and sort of the, the heart and soul of the company, yeah. um, while not having the people say, just lay low, this dude's gonna go away. It's like everyone's Oh, you know people get, say that, right? Of yeah, course, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're gonna outlast them though. We're, like, I, got, I got my guys, I beat them down enough. Like, <laughs> You've been there a while, I haven't. <laughs> Well, I, my theory is beatings will continue till morale improves. Yes. So um, we've we, we've kind of we've got that going for us. So um, share with us. You've got such an iconic brand. Yeah. What were the opportunities and challenges in bringing that sort of local flair national? Because you say, yeah. Hey, I know Italian beef would be popular in Texas. I'm not sure. I would have known that before the bear. Right, we all watch the bear, and Italian beef yeah. has a whole new meaning in the country. But yeah, like, what worked here? That did everything here work? Like, do people like their dogs dragged through the garden in in Texas? So, um, yeah, actually, so a couple little fun facts. Um, it doesn't matter where you go to Portillo's, whether it's in California, Arizona, Florida. The number one thing we sell is Italian beef. The number two thing we sell are our hot dogs, and then our French fries. And it, it's eerily similar product mix, eerily similar. Um, I think that, and I think it's, it's a question everybody asks, will you sell Italian beef? Like, I've, we had investors who were dubious. So we have, a, we have a food vending truck, the beef bus, and we shipped it to Boston and shipped it to Manhattan. We had it in the middle of Times Square during our IPO. When they eat an Italian beef, investors, when they'd eat an Italian beef sandwich, I'd like one analyst, eat, take a bite and he's like, Oh yeah. Oh, people will eat this everywhere, won't they? I'm like, yeah. It's a roast beef sandwich, right? It's it, some people call it French dip with au jus. I mean, it's like, it's it's beef and bread. It seems to work in America. And Anything fall on its face? Like, is there anything that you thought was going to work, and you're like, oh my god, I misread that one? I mean, no. The the heart of the menu is the heart of the menu. Now, where we have made mistakes, okay? Because um, I saw this. We we built restaurants uh, under my predecessors. In, Wisconsin, in Minnesota that just didn't work. And it, it's always the same root cause when you go back. You put in this new concept, you get unbelievable trial. Like we had lines outside the door, but you had a team that had no idea what they were doing. You had a general manager that doesn't understand what a Portillo should be like. And so you just fall on your face when you're delivering the experience. So more execution <laughs> led to failure as opposed to, hey, this is a wrong city, it'll never fly here. Totally. And so my learning from this is, and the discipline that we have with, you know, my, me and my executive team hold hands on this, is we're not opening a Portillo's unless we've identified an experienced general manager to run it. So I want somebody who's run a Portillo's independently for at least a year before we're opening. So we're opening this month two new restaurants in Arizona, one, our first one in Texas, and another one in Orlando. You know, highly, Texas, our, one of our best GMs, she was just recently running Addison and Kimball for us. She's a bilingual woman. She's gonna be a rock star, Texas. The multi-unit person we have there 
is our best multi-unit person. She's been with Portillo's for 14 years. She knows what a Portillo's is supposed to be like. The management team beneath them, 70% of them are deeply experienced Portillo's people. So what I feel good about, you stack, and I th- you stack the deck. Yeah, well you should, right? It's an insurance policy and so the people in Texas, their first experience is gonna be, our food is gonna be spot on, but the experience is gonna be what a Portillo's is. And the culture there will be what a Portillo's is. And so that's how I, I de-risk growth and that's when I feel good about where we're opening. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor, Sure. Audio equipment for the Executives Exchange podcast is provided by Shore Incorporated. When your team is depending on you for information and motivation, you can't afford to sound anything less than clear and confident. For nearly 100 years, performers and world leaders have depended on Shore microphones. Whether you're in front of a camera or behind a podium, Shore lets you sound extraordinary. Welcome back. And, and share with us vision you can for, you see Portillo's here in terms of number of units, you see it where, yeah. a couple years down the road, how long do you look out? Um, I look, uh, so I gotta be careful what I say because this is material non-public information. It's not, I'm gonna tell you public information, but like. We're not gonna tell anyone. Yeah. So I, you know, look, I'm a data guy. I spent like 10 years at Bain and Company. I love facts and data. So I had, um, I use a couple of different companies that do these kind of things. They look at, uh, they run these huge multivariate regressions to say where will your restaurant succeed, here's the likelihood of success, here's how much revenue it will do. And I said I want at least, uh, you know, at least $6 million in revenues and none within five miles of each other, okay? They came back, they're like, it can be well over 600 restaurants in the U.S. That's that doesn't include airport locations, universities, small formats, drive-through only formats, and it doesn't include any international franchises. So I think we're at least 600 full-size Portillo's in the US and, 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 and. That's what full potential hell of a like. Hell of a runway in front of you. It is, it'll be fun. Um, we're starting to get some questions coming in, so again, I'd remind you folks to text in your questions. I'm gonna hit mine and them and we'll kind of Although I worry when questions come in like this. I did one of these a couple weeks ago, and the first question that popped up was, Andy, what kind of product do you use in your hair? And I thought, I, I thought I was like, like, what the hell does that have to do with anything? But Should I not have asked that? I don't think it was right. <laughs> oh, that was you. I, yeah. Um, share with us a bit about the COVID journey, which yeah. obviously hit the hospitality industry. I know it well, uh, right between the eyes. Yeah. What did, uh, what did it look like in your world? Was it different because of all your drive-throughs and yeah. pickups, delivery? Like, how did what did COVID look like as you look in the rear of your mirror? Hopefully, um, here's this is going to sound incredibly strange to say. I, I think COVID accelerated our evolution as a company because um, you know COVID happens. We all know. Uh, in, in, di- in, in restaurant dining shut down. The, everyone, we were all freaked out. First we thought it's only be a couple weeks, then a couple months, then maybe through the end. And it's just, it just kept going. But it was actually an opportunity for us to stick to our values and to prove to ourselves and our team members that we are a values-led organization. So our internal values are family, greatness, energy, and fun. And you know what we didn't do during COVID? We didn't lay off a single person. Like, I, yeah, I got 8,000 people. 
vast majority of whom are hourly frontline team members. We didn't lay off a single person. We used that time, and, and then our restaurants were shut down, our dining rooms were shut down, so we pivoted purely to a drive-through model and a delivery model. We used the time during COVID to cross-train people. So if you knew, you know, if you know our, our places, like there's a beef station where they're making beef. Next, next to them is an area we call table, which is where they're making hot dogs. There's a little table. And so if you knew beef, we trained you on table. If you knew how to take orders inside the restaurant, we taught you how to take orders outside the restaurant. We cross-trained the heck out of our team members. We uh, paid for their health care during the height of COVID. We started a 5013C, you know, we call it the Heart of Portillo's Fund. We did all this because, and, and I, I really appreciate my board because they, they let us invest in our team. Um, we did all this because this is bringing to life our value system. This is how family behaves, right? Times are tough. You don't just go and lay off half your workforce. You actually take care of them. And, and this is not, I'm not a socialist. I'm, I like to think of myself as an enlightened capitalist because like those frontline people, right? They're our brand. And so they're the most important asset that we have as a company. So if you take great care of them, they will take great care of your business. During COVID, our comp was down 8%, but our EBITDA was up 8% year over year. And it's because we got unheard of productivity out of our team members. Right, just like if you were producing, make this up, but like 18 hot dogs an hour pre-COVID, during COVID, you were producing 28 hot dogs an hour uh, because they felt loved and appreciated and protected and taken care of. And so to me, that accelerated our cultural evolution by years. And these are people who will remain loyal to you for sticking with them in the right. toughest of times. And, and they tell their friends yeah. and family. This is a place to work. Like 40, 50% of our recruiting now is friends and family. That's, we have, our, our, our turnover rates are 20 to 30 percentage points lower than the industry at the hourly level. And it's not, and it's because, you know, it's not that, here's the secret. Treat people well. <laughs> Take care of people. Don't, don't think of them as a cost. Think of them as an investment in your brand. And uh, when you do that, oh my gosh, great things happen. Magic happens. Yeah. Uh, we have one from the uh, crowd here. What would be your one advice as a leader if you had a snippet, a room full of people entering the business field, answer this question. In order to be an ultra successful leader, you have to what? One thing. Can I make you answer this after I answer? Yeah. All right. So my one <laughs> thing is if, uh, if you really want to be a great successful leader, you have to I believe you have to be a servant leader. You have to genuinely approach leadership with a humility and low ego, and you have to want to make other people successful. If your goal in life is to make yourself successful, you are going to suck as a leader. If your goal in life is to make other people successful, you might be pretty good. Yeah, I, I, uh, my simple strategy is to surround myself with the best people, and I know that sounds like, oh yeah, that's easy. No, like literally, I hire people and I look at them and I say, you have one job, which is to make me look like an idiot every day. <laughs> and most of them do a good job of that. Yeah. But it's, yeah. I want to surround myself with spectacular leaders yeah. in what they do. And literally, as we talked earlier, get the hell out of their way. Yeah. Make it easy for them as opposed to hard for them. Right. And so that would be, uh, that would be my answer. Yeah. Uh, significant milestone when, when, at what point did you look and you said, okay, this signifies 
we're on the right path. My strategy is working. Yeah. Our strategy is working. And here's, I think we got this. Knowing you never are there. It's like chasing vapor. But what was, what was a moment or two when you felt that? I think, um, not to be super specific, but it was uh, around 7 p.m. on October 20th, 2018. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting in, um, we had, you know, taking a company public is a tortuous nightmare that is very challenging and most people who, like most, most banking companies try to go public and they ultimately bail multiple times. So we had this window of opportunity and up until the week before, we weren't sure we were gonna do it. And I'm sitting in our bankers' offices in New York with my sponsors and you know, army of bankers and lawyers. I'm a cheap bastard, so I'm thinking, my God, the meter is running right now to make this quick. But we're looking at the demand for uh, our stock at our IPO, and it was 15.4 times oversubscribed. So you know, we wanted to sell, I think it was like 400 million of sh worth of equity, and we had a demand for $6 billion of stock. And, and that was after months of me talking to investors in one-on-one -on -one settings and multi, multi just telling them the story and why I believe in Portillo's and why I think this is an amazing brand. And it, and it was like, oh my God, this is real. This is happening. People really want to invest and back Portillo's. We're gonna be a public company and we're gonna be some, you know, it's, it's a big deal. This is happening. Yeah, this is, happening. This is real. Uh, I got another one from the crowd. Looking toward the future, what can we expect from Portillo's in the years to come? We talked about unit size, yeah. you know, how many, but how do you see the brand either evolving or staying the same? And what a challenge that is because yeah. people love it, don't move my cheese, yeah. but you also have to evolve. Yeah. Um, I would love us to be boringly consistent on amazing execution, right? I think that the best... You know, the best marketing you can do as a restaurant business is give people a great experience when they come into your restaurant. All the other stuff is cute and interesting, but just think about why you pick which restaurants you go to. It's because you had a good experience. Because you know, most of the time when I go to this place, I'm gonna have a good experience. And so I would love for Portillo's, when it comes to the experience, to be boringly consistent and excellent. I think our menu will continue to slowly evolve. Like I'm a uh, my team knows this, I, I believe in a Darwinian exercise on the menu. If you're not good, something, uh, something else is gonna kill you. So like, we had a chicken sandwich that wasn't very good. We had a broiled chicken sandwich on a croissant. There's probably somebody here who loved it. But it was low P, sorry. It was, it, was, it was very low sales and very low guest satisfaction. We killed it, replaced it with a, a spicy chicken sandwich that is crazy good. We had a fish sandwich that was it must have been 200 car grams of carbs in every, thing. it was like huge French bread with hugely breaded, thin little slice of meat, four ounces of tartar sauce. It was disgusting. <laughs> so we killed it and evolved it. Our fish sandwich now is really good, really, really good. And so I think the menu, if there's, if there's a, a weak link, we'll eliminate it. We'll just keep getting better. But I want in 10 years people to say the beef has never changed. It's the exact same beef sandwich. The hot dogs are still every bit as good as they were. You know, the french fries are still unbelievably good. Do you think people's um, eating has changed in the, you know, I always laugh in our business, maybe it's similar in your business. When people come to our places, stadiums and arenas in particular, yeah. 
They want a hot dog. Yeah. They want beer. Right. They want unhealthy yeah. items. Yeah. Now, every season survey we ever have done, it says we want more healthy items. Right. We'll put those healthy items on. Right. They don't really sell. Yeah. Because when people are going to Wrigley Field, they want to sit in that big beer garden right. that happens to have a baseball game going on, yeah. and they want a beer and a hot dog. Yeah. When people go to Portillo's, one of the things I've admired about Portillo's through the years is there's no, um, there's no veto vote. If you want right. to eat healthy, you can actually go to Portillo's and have a damn good salad, Yeah. Right, a damn good chicken sandwich. Do you find when people come to Portillo's, they're just, I'm coming in here for a splurge, the same way I'm going for a baseball game? Um, you're talking about, this is like, I'm very passionate about these topics. So, you know, I worked at Kraft, sold food, right? We sold everything in the middle, everything in the middle of the grocery store. P.F. Chang's obviously, hotel. Uh, what people say and what they do are totally different. You too? Yeah. Totally different. Wow. I, I spent tens of millions of dollars on research. It's like, People want, you know, non-GMO and no. Here's what people want something that tastes great. And then they do, people I do believe want like minimally processed stuff. Like keep it simple, right? If there's a lot of things on the description that I don't understand what those words mean, that's probably a bad thing. So they want food that tastes great, that is simple. And so we, we try to do that. You said something really important about the veto vote, right? So like what I think is still important is I don't think there's, I don't have a ton of vegans coming to my restaurants, but I do have some. And I do have some people that are coming with a friend or family member who might want to eat vegan. And I don't want to be an unwelcoming place to them. And so we have great salads. All of our salads are made in-house, fresh to order. But we also rolled out um, a garden dog, right? We talked about this briefly. I tried non-meat hot dogs and burgers for three years. And so, and most of them, I'm not going to name names, most of them I, I find not edible, right? It's just not tasty. We're Portillo's. I want everything that you come and eat at Portillo's to be first delicious. And so we landed on a hot dog from, uh, you know, from the guys at uh, Field Roasts who do Dodger dogs. It's a really good hot dog. It's, pea pro it's, it's clean ingredient list. It's pea protein based with a bunch of spices. It doesn't have the snap because it doesn't have a natural skin casing. But like when you put all the Chicago style ingredients on it, it's it tastes pretty damn good. really good. And so like, you know, in my household, we do meatless Mondays. I, I don't tell the kids this, but I give them vegan, I give them my garden dogs. I slide it into them. They don't know any better. Uh, my wife can have a salad. I have a hot, hot dog and a salad. But like, I want the place to be somewhere that everyone is comfortable. There's food that not only can you eat, but that you will enjoy. Like, it's not like, yeah, there's something on the menu that you can eat, it's disgusting, and I probably... And you're just filling your gas right. tank. Right, It's gotta be something that you can enjoy. Uh, we have two minutes left, and I am going to ask you two lightning round questions. Okay. The first is from someone in the audience who actually answered it themselves, but also is asking it. Their okay. opening was, I don't, do you? And they asked, they're curious uh, which of your competitors you'd either most like to emulate, or who do you respect in the industry and why? It's probably longer than a one minute question. I happen to think you guys are in a league of your own, but what do you see out there that you're like, ooh, they do it really well? Oh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge admirer of two companies. I admire the way Chick-fil-A executes and In-N-Out execute. So, you know, Chick-fil-A's shtick is this my pleasure thing, right? You guys all experience this. I have literally stood in line, asked for a cup of water, waiting for a little bit of attitude, and I get nothing but a smile and my pleasure. I'm like, oh, jeez. 
because I'm a very competitive person. <laughs> and so my team, I would love to be as consistently excellent in operations as they are. And then in and out is such a good business model, so simple. They do things so well. Everybody there has a smile on their face. I love the way you can look into their kitchens and it's spotless. And so I, I really respect the way the two of them execute. And I think there's elements of what they do that I, I would like to emulate. Great answer, yeah. great answer. Lastly, um, on the heels of such a delicious lunch, what's your go-to Portillo's order? Yeah, uh, beef dipped hot peppers, dipped. If you don't dip your beef sandwich, it's life-changing. It's literally submerged in the gravy for a count of two, okay? If you're really adventurous, five second, it's called extra dip, but that's too much, dipped. Eat it with like 10 napkins like over here. You gotta get the Chicago lean Yes. Down. You have to yeah. be able, because otherwise it all ends yeah, up Nowhere here, so. near here. Yeah, you just gotta right. lean. So. And commit to it. I have a very strong back from the years of <laughs> yes. leaning uh, right. of those sandwiches and dogs. Anyway, yes. Michael, we could talk forever. Yeah. Uh, I know everyone enjoyed hearing the Portillo story and your story as much as I did, so thank, thank you. you. Thank you. That's all for today's episode of the Executives Exchange, sponsored by Shure Incorporated. Thanks for listening. If you have Chicago speakers you think we should cover, please send us an email at media at executivesclub.org. The Executives Exchange is a production of the Executives Club of Chicago. Audio equipment for the Executives Club podcast is provided by Shure. Whether you're making a point or making history, Shure lets you sound extraordinary. It's written by me, Margaret Mueller, produced by Eva Pinar. Research and support from the staff of the Executives Club of Chicago. We appreciate you subscribing and reviewing the show from wherever you listen. Feel free to follow the club on Twitter at Exec Club and on LinkedIn. If you have more questions or are interested about becoming a member at the Executives Club of Chicago, check us out on the web at executivesclub.org.